Good morning, brothers and sisters. If we could turn into our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 21. We're running a little behind schedule, but it's always a, a privilege to hear the young ones say their verses. 1 Kings chapter 21 and 22, that's the test that we have at hand this morning. And we're going to consider a few characters. Everybody could hear just fine? Okay, let's start reading in 1 Kings chapter 21. And the word of God reads, And after, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near my house, and I, and I will give thee it a better vineyard than it. Or if seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the, give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy, displeased, because of the word of, the, because of, the word of Naboth the Jezreelite uh, had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not eat. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is the spirit, thy spirit uh, sad, that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite. And he said unto, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee the, my, my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now, now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, uh, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters unto the elders and unto the nobles that were in the city dwelling in Naboth. And she wrote the, in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on, the high, on high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, uh, before him to bear witness against him, saying, uh, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. Uh, skipping down to verse 17. And it came to pass, or, or verse 16. And it came to pass that when Naboth heard, uh, that Ahab heard Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard, of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he he is gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick up thy blood, even thine. And, they, and Ahab said unto Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have, I have found thee, um, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Skipping down to verse 27, and it says, And it came to pass that when Ahab heard those words, that he rented his clothes 
and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and laid down and laid in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came again unto Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest that thou, seest thou how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the evil upon his house. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for thy word. We're so thankful that it reveals to us your person. It reveals to us what you would have us to know. We thank you that we see the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the pages of the Old Testament and through the pages of the New Testament, Father. We're thankful that we could remember his, him this morning. We ask that he would get the glory this morning. In your son's most precious name, we do pray. Amen. Um, we skipped a few verses. And, and unfortunately, we're going to have to skip a few verses, um, not to not cover them, just for time's sake. I'm a slow reader, um, and if we were to read all of chapter 21 and chapter 22, we probably would have just a few minutes for uh, any thoughts. Um, I, I want to consider um, the person of Ahab. For some reason, I don't know if it's uh, the elders or the people that schedule the speakers, if they just have it out for me. But I always get the rascals. I had to cover Jeroboam last time. Now I'm covering Ahab. Now out of rebellion, because my heart's rebellious at times, I'm going to cover uh, Ahab, but I'm also going to cover Jehoshaphat, uh, which was a good king, um, as opposed to going into details about Jezebel. So in chapter 21, the first phrase, and it came to pass after these things. Now what we need to consider is, the writer here of the Old Testament that's been inspired by the Word of God, he's trying to point it to something. After these things happened, now this is going to be kind of the climatic conclusion or downfall of this man Ahab. Um, what are these things? And again, we don't have time, but I'm just going to go back and read a couple of verses. In chapter 18, when... Uh, it was the big showdown, I believe Malcolm spoke that week, where it was God against Baal. And he had 400 prophets. And Elisha the Tishbite was called up to confront the king. He was the one prophet that was speaking up against this idolatrous king who made the people to sin. And he would, uh, in a very powerful imagery, he would show the power of God. And how the fire would come and come out from heaven and consume the altar of, of uh, the, the altar that, that um, Elisha had set up for the Lord to consume. And while the 400 prophets of Baal were useless. And in verse 21 it says, this is the message that Elisha is giving, not to just the people, but to this man, Ahab. How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. All right? So after these things, after Elisha is giving this message to this wicked man, this wicked king, who, by the way, was placed to govern the people, to shepherd the people, and yet he would lead them to do great sins. And you would recall after the story uh, that the prophets of Baal were destroyed, the people's hearts did turn to the Lord, Unfortunately, this was not the case for Ahab. And in chapter uh, 19, our brother Mike covered uh, last week, 
It was where Elisha the Tishbite goes out into hiding because Jezebel was now pursuing for the life of, uh, for the, the very life of Elisha. And yet God was not done. He is a gracious God. One of my favorite verses when it comes to, to considering these wicked people that lived is that God is gracious. And that, that verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it applies to them. For God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, including Ahab, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it is with that grace that we would see how God would still extend his grace towards this wicked, wicked man. In chapter 20, nobody covered that chapter that I know of. And it would go on. God would, again, pronounce word to Ahab. There was this king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. And he would go on and he would threaten the very tribe of Israel. And he would mock them. And Ahab would be trembling. And he would say, yes, 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 where are your servants? And yet God would send an unnamed servant this time. And the servant will say, behold... God is going to give thee the victory. And in verse 13 in chapter 20, so the, the prophet says, And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, the king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all the great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thy hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. What was the purpose? That he should know that I am the Lord. Because obviously this king is not getting the message. He's not getting the message that the people would see and would turn to God from idols and persecute those wicked prophets of Baal. And he would send his prophet that you would know I am the Lord. And there will be a great victory, outnumbered and completely outclassed when you're considering these people had chariots. And then the Syrians would come again and the same prophet would go to him speak again. The Syrians were saying that the, that the God of, of Israel is just the God of the hills. Well, I'm going to show them that I am the Lord. And a second time, he will give them the victory in this same chapter. I'd encourage every brother and sister here to read. Fascinating stories. Fascinating, fascinating how God would look to reveal himself. And yet, it would not turn this wicked king. It would not deter him. From doing evil. And here is when we get to verse 1. And it came to pass after these things. After God had extended grace to this man. Yet we come to this, this portion in, in, in chapter 21. Which is not a very positive chapter. But nonetheless we could gather very uh, important spiritual truths from it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it's a very familiar verse. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Reap. Right? And it's Ahab reaping, as Galatians says, in spirits for life. Or is he reaping to the flesh, which just bringeth forth Death is what, what, what Paul will go on to say in the book of Galatians. And he would see that this man is reaping to the flesh. 
and and surely he would know the history of his people. Surely every Israelite knew the Ten Commandments by heart. Just quickly glancing at this uh, chapter, we could see that some of those commandments are broken. One easy one to identify is the murder of Naboth. And sad to say that it's not just Naboth that was murdered. For Naboth, I will venture to say that he was a righteous man. Not in the sense that that, God, that spirit, the, the, the scripture physically points that out, but the fact that Naboth cared about the inheritance. The inheritance to every Israelite was something precious. It was something that was given to them from God. And if you have time, you can look into account in Book of Numbers and in, in, in Leviticus, where it says that you shouldn't sell your possession, that it should stay within the family. And it was something so important. Remember what the angel of the Lord told uh, Daniel, the very last verse of, of the book of Daniel, when, in the, when he was seeing that prophecy. It says, now, Daniel, stand in your lot. Stand in your lot and wait. And wait. And, and, and you would see that beautiful story of, of Ruth, the Moabitess, and, and how the, the whole theme of, of, of that book was the inheritance of Naomi, how it was lost. Her, fa- her, her husband died. Her two sons died. The, the inheritance was going to be lost to, to uh, Elimelech. But yet this kinsman redeemer came and redeemed that inheritance. The inheritance is something that should be cherished, something that's precious to us, the believers. In First Peter chapter 4, to an, uninherit- to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Are you meditating upon your inheritance? Are you working for it? Are you meditating on the word of God? And Naboth, he himself would be concerned with the inheritance that was given to his family, and he would not want to give it up. And the rest of the story is um, a fairly familiar story where, where uh, more commandments were broken. There was the law, do not covet, right? Was that the, the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not covet the neighbor, the neighbor's wife, his house, his land. And this is what's driving at the heart of this wicked king. And then you see these 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 worthless men, men of Belial, how they would do a fa- give a false testimony, and thou shalt not give a false testimony. And oh, how the Lord would, would be long-suffering, how he would be re- suffering this man. How long? It gets to a point where enough is enough. Friend, if you're here this morning, and you've been under the word of God, you've listened to the gospel, and yet you still would resist and reject Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. That's the devil's biggest lie. Scripture says, let no one boast about tomorrow. It's not promised. And if you're living like Ahab, dangerously, rejecting, constantly rejecting, recognizing the word of the Lord, but rejecting it, rejecting the gospel, it is a dangerous position to be in. And nonetheless, the Lord would still extend grace to this man when uh, Elisha, Elijah, the, uh, the Tishbite, would confront him, he would go on and he would not repent, but he would feel sorry for himself. It's almost touches of, 
of uh, you could see it's, it's, it starts as David. David would, would mourn and lament from his sin, but he would wholeheartedly repent. And the difference is this man just felt bad. And there's people like that nowadays. They hear the preaching of the gospel. They understand there's a problem, a problem in humanity. Talk to coworkers. Talk to anybody that's not a believer. They understand. They see the news. What is wrong with humanity? There's physically something wrong. There's not a solution outside of Christ. And yet they would reject that. And here it reminds me of, of, of when, when Paul would be witnessing to Agrippa, to Felix, and to Festus. And, he would, and Festus would say, Paul, thou almost per." Persuadest me. How sad of words that is. Thou almost persuadest me. Nonetheless, the Lord would spare him of the judgment that would fall on his life during the, during the days that he lived. Now, to in this short time, let's get to the story that I want to get to. Um, here we're gonna let's just read the first few verses. God's word in one Kings twenty two. Verse 1 says, And they continued uh, three years without war uh, between Syria and Israel. Again, it's God's grace. And it came to pass that in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and that we will... That we will uh, that we be still and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Wilt thou go with me to battle in Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord. Let's take a look at this character, Jehoshaphat. Uh, you know, since we exhausted of hearing about these bad, wicked kings, let's look, consider it a good king. And if you take a, do a study on the, the kings of Judah, the majority of them were good, but even the ones that were good had wrinkles, had some sin in their life. Uh, there's very few, uh, maybe with the exception of, of Josiah and Hezekiah, that it says that there was no kings like them. And that they would fully follow the Lord. But even then, they still were sinners, right? And Jehoshaphat was a good king. He relied on the Lord. You think of the victory against the Ammonites, I believe. They came in great numbers against him. And he fully relied on the Lord. And the Lord gave him victory. And he would uh, abolish the idols. And he, he would listen to the word of the Lord. So, I, I want to speak to the Christian that's here this morning, of this concept of fitting in, fitting in. It seems very natural to the human being to want to fit in, right? I can think of myself as a a foolish young person, always wanting to fit in with the crowds. I don't want to look like an outsider. I don't want to be made fun of. I want to dress and speak and do the things that the so-called cool people do. And I don't know if uh, Jehoshaphat was falling into this trap. Now, it is important to realize that the Lord Jesus Christ, in John chapter 17, when that very intimate moment, when he's speaking to his father, and he's, he's, he's saying, 
uh, I'm going to send them into the world. Speaking to the believers, I'm going to send them into the world, as thou hast sent me into the world, that they may testify. Right? The Christian is not supposed to. You uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go to a nice Christian island and isolate ourselves and just praise the Lord. It'll be a, a, a merry old time. Yes, we'll have problems, but we're of the same mind. So we'll just enjoy our fellowship just that much more. That goes completely against the commandment of Christ. That's why you have to be aware of so-called Christian communities and retirement homes. The concept is, is, is nice, but that's not what God's will is. He will have us to go into the world. Now, going into the world, Jesus Christ was called the friend of sinners. He would eat with them. But there's a difference between going into the world, rubbing elbows with unbelievers, as opposed to, hanging out with them, befriending them, wanting to do with them, take into fellowship with them, to do what they do, to say the things they say, to take the habits that they do, to indulge in the same sin that they sin. There's a difference for that. There's a difference between going into the world, being friendly to sinners, to being part of the group. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 would read, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Here Jehoshaphat has fallen into this trap. Though he is a good king, though he, is, he, he, he fears the Lord and relies upon him, he's fallen into this trap. For when I read verse 4, he says, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. That's not true. That's not true, Jehoshaphat. You have to consider that Ahab was a wicked king. He was idolatrous. He uh, kicked out and killed most of the prophets of the Lord. And we're going to see that there's only one in Israel that he knows of that actually could inquire of the Lord. It's not to say he's in prison. So Jehoshaphat is saying these things, maybe trying to fit in. It's the words that kind of ring close to what Ruth said to her mother-in-law. But she was being righteous. Where thou shalt go, I shall go. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God shall be my God. Amen to that. You want to cling to the people of God. But here is a believer, a man that fears God and saying, I am as thou art my people, as thy people my horses is thy horses. Maybe the tidbit about the horses is true. Who knows? Maybe the horses in Judah and Israel are the same. Maybe he, if he would have said that, it would have been okay. But Christian, you have to be careful of fitting in. And I'm not talking about with just unbelievers that are doing wicked things. Uh, that Yeah, I'm going to stay away from them. But some Christians sometimes will choose family over honoring the Lord. Sometimes they'll choose nationality, taking some pride in the nation. God gave us this country, and it's been a blessing to us that we could open the word of God. But never should you withstand with the nation as opposed to standing with God. As Peter would go on to say, we ought to obey God rather than man. And you could easily fall into the trap in, in, in trying to honor a family bond or a, a national bond, which I think is the case with Jehoshaphat in this case, where he would See it as his brother. This is our nation, and these people are in our land. Oh, did you forget, Ahab, that the reason that they have your land is because you didn't obey the word of the Lord when that prophet came. And Satan utterly 
destroy them. But instead, Ahab, when the Lord would give him victory, he would show mercy unto Ben-Hadad. And now he's in this dilemma and dragging the king of Judah into it. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. When I was a kid, unlearned, in many ways I still am unlearned. I used to think when the, when, when the elders and the deacons and, and, and our parents would tell us, don't be unequally yoked. I used to just automatically assume, don't pursue girls that are not saved. Right? That's, that's what came to mind. Okay, I, I can't. If I'm looking for a girlfriend, she has to be Christian. That, that's all I assumed. That's what I thought it meant. But it means so much more than that, brothers and sisters. You could be unequally yoked in friendships. Now, it's the, this word yoke, uh, not, not, not speaking to, to most of us, a yoke is probably the yoke of an egg. But a yoke, in farmer's terms, was this apparatus that you would put on two animals. And they had to be of like minds. Two cattle, and they would go plow the fields. This is before we had tractors that would do this for us. If you would... To put a cow and a donkey, you're not getting anywhere. You put a cat and a dog, you're not getting anywhere because they're not of like mind. So when Paul is writing this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he goes on to explain it. Light does not have fellowship with darkness. A believer does not have fellowship. There's nothing in common with unbelievers. Just as Christ doesn't have fellowship with Belial. In this case, it would be Baal. They don't go together. Christian, fitting in is not what God called us to do. What does Second Peter say about the believer? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, peculiar people. It's the opposite. We've been called out of the world. And the Spirit is calling us out. And yet some believers would fight to try to fit in. And oh, how foolish it would be to go against the will of God and to try to do it your way. Hard lessons are learned that way. As Jehoshaphat would go on to learn that lesson. But there's encouragement. Jehoshaphat fears the Lord. And you can see his heart revealed in chapter, in, in verse 5, where say where he would inquire of the Lord. This, is, this sounds good, brother, national brother. Let's, let's do this, but let's inquire of the Lord. And of course, uh, this wicked king, ah, oh, let's inquire. We need prophets. He brings in the other 400 prophets that were not killed, and they start prophesying, getting charismatic, and being uh, all enthusiastic. Go, go. I saw, I saw you defeat. And one of them, one as to uh, maybe had too much time, he, he grabbed some, some iron and made some antlers and put them, with these you shall push the Syrians out of the land. Paid prophets to say what the king wants is utter foolishness. Utter foolishness. Think about in Christendom today, people try to conform, to appease the majority, to appease common, common opinion regarding family, marriage, sexuality, and they'll compromise. They're like, oh, no, 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 we, we need to accept these people. We need to show love just to hear what they want. But unfortunately, the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ is not in that kind of message. All you're doing is you're just creating 
how my parents would, would call it a social club of, of people that just you just want to have friends. And that's not what the Bible, not what God is calling us to do. Be aware of false doctrine, believer. Here we're, uh, again, we're running short on time. So it gets to a point where Jehoshaphat, praise the Lord, he's not fooled. And he goes, is there not one that we can inquire of the Lord? And listen to, the, the, let's go back to this King Ahab now with this response. It's astonishing to consider what he says. And the, in verse 8 it says, Yet there is one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, whom I may inquire, we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. There is one man that we may inquire of the Lord. He knew that these prophets were not inquiring of the Lord. They're prophets of Baal. And he goes, yes, yes, Jehoshaphat. There's one that could give us the word of the Lord, but I hate him. I hate him. Now let's consider for a second what prophets are. They didn't have the written scripture back then. A prophet was to pronounce the word of God to the people. And they would to take that word as if God himself was speaking to them. Believer, we have the completed word of God. We have the word of God. Now, what would you say if a man looks at the word of God and reads some things that don't sound so nice about them? It happens. Oh, that book is, I, I can't, I don't like the Bible because it's, it's hateful. Uh, it's, it, it, it's tells me I'm a sinner, tells me I'm prideful. Is that? So that there's the two reactions you do when you take the word of God. You hear it. And you turn from your ways and repent, or you cast it aside, knowing it's the word of God, and you reject it. I hate it, is what Ahab said. I hate him. How many people hate the word of God? Believer, are you doing the opposite? Are you loving the word of God? Sometimes we read things in it that you're, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I am a vile man. Makes me think of the man withhold, looking at himself in the mirror in James chapter 1. He would see the appearance of his face. He would see his flaws and would walk away from it. It's not for me. The word of God. Jesus Christ is called the word of God. In the beginning was the word, right? And it says that that light, it came into darkness. And the darkness could not comprehend it. Sometimes scripture would reveal to us things that we don't want to know. And to the unbeliever, sometimes it would be something that they turn to hate because they want to continue living their own lives. So what's also astounding at, the, at, his, at his remarks is that when Jehoshaphat, when Micaiah would physically come and, and they would say, all right, Micaiah, everybody, 400. We've, they've been positive. They've said everything. The king is happy. Just go on and knock that nail on the head. Emphasize that. Jehoshaphat, I mean Micaiah, would say, What the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. Verse 14. What the Lord saith to me, that will I speak. You need to remember that when you're sharing the word of God. You don't corrupt it. You don't add anything to it. In it is the power to save. Not what you have. Not what you could add to it. That is incorrect, sir. It is the word of God. In it is the power to save. 
And so Micaiah would come and he would, they would ask him and he would mockingly tell, tell, tell uh, uh, Ahab what he would want to hear. And what his reaction is, it's, it's, it's astounding because he goes to Jehoshaphat. You see, you see how he mocks me. This is why I hate him. Tell me, tell me the word of God. Tell me the word of the Lord. To this point, this man has heard the word of the Lord enough to recognize it. The word of the Lord from a false word. And Micaiah would go on to tell him, I saw Israel as sheep scattered without a shepherd. And he would recognize that is the word of the Lord. Did he take that word? Did it change his heart? Did it move him to repent? Or did he cast it aside and rejected it? The writer of the Hebrews would go on to say, How shall we escape when we neglect so great a salvation? Friend, are you here this morning rejecting? Rejecting. Maybe later, maybe later. It's the dangerous, dangerous road you are on, my friend. You have to take God's word and let it change you. Sorry, did that page already. What we need to consider is the Word of God. Are you listening to the Word of God? Now I'm speaking to the believer. Are you loving the Word of God or are you trying to fit in? I will go on to venture to say there's many Christians who come every Sunday and listen to the Word of God. And they say, yes, I believe that. It's in the Word of God, it's in the Bible. And then they go out and live lives and with their co-workers or in school, they try to camouflage that and try to fit in. Now, before we start looking around and start, I'm wondering who this, this guy's talking about. We'll look no further. Here, look up here. When I was young, I was very concerned about my image, what my friends, my so-called friends would think when I was in school. I did not want to be made fun of and I wanted to fit in. And oh, how foolish that was to not do it God's way. When God would go on to commend uh, Jeremiah and his ministry, he would say, I am young. What am I supposed to say? And and he would say, before I formed thee, I knew thee. And one, one specific phrase that he tells Jeremiah, young prophet, and he has a hard road ahead of him. He tells him, be not afraid of their faces, their faces. Now, he's not talking about the faces of the Syrians, of the Assyrians, or the Babylonians. He's talking about his own people. He's talking about the kings, the, the king that he's under, the prophets, the whole nation. And he's telling be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee. Be not afraid of the faces of your co-workers, the people that you deal with. Represent God. Let Love the word of God. Try not to quench it. Just to close, let's look at two verses in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. We need to take God's word as it comes directly from God. This Ahab would hear through three different prophets, Elisha twice, 
the, prophet, the unnamed prophet twice and through Micaiah, and yet he would reject it. And it's not a surprise that he rejected because he was not a believer in God. But to you, Christian, in chapter 2 of Thessalonians, here Paul's writing to them. Look what it says in verse 1. For you yourselves, brethren, know that, the, that our entrance into you was not in vain. Right? That our coming to you was not in vain. And he will go on to say, but even after that we had suffered before, we were shamefully entreated. As you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God. Imagine that. Amen for Paul. That even that, that their trip there was not in vain. Even though they suffered. They suffered before the people. They were uh, beat, beaten up and thrown in prison in Philippi, if you recall. But they were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. And their efforts were not in vain. The word would go unto the Thessalonians and many of them would be saved. Look what it says in verse 13. For this cause we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard from us, ye received them not as the word of men. The unbeliever receives it as word of men. They don't consider it as the word of God. And the believer needs to receive it not as the word of men, but as in true the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you. That believe. Christian, are we listening to this very book? It's not a book like any other book in the human race. This book is not just mere paper and ink. It represents the very word of God. Just like the word from the prophets represented the very word of God to that wicked king. And yet he would hear it and not believe, go out, and he would die. Prophecies would come true. His blood was licked up by the dogs. His wife, this wicked woman, would be cast out from a tower and be eaten up by dogs. The word of the Lord comes true. What is, oh, it's blocked, our passage back there. In Hebrews, right? Jesus, the same, Yesterday, today, and forever. The word of God is unchanging. We need to take it and we need to love it. We need to pray for wisdom from God to, to take the word as, as if it's coming straight from the lips of God. To cling on to it. To love it. And in doing so, you're not going to be tempted to fit in. You're not going to be tempted to Quench the spirit. You're not going to be tempted to cast it aside. But if, as a believer, you're trying to fit into the world and fit into the, into the church and trying to please two masters, it won't work. It won't work. Just ask that it would be an encouragement to every believer, not just the young ones, to love. Love the word of God. Take it as if it's coming straight from him. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for thy word. We read in the Bible that it is the lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. How, what a privilege it is to hear the young ones speak the verses. And oh, how it's not just something for children to learn, but it is for the adults to meditate upon, memorize, to read, to love. As, as a, a babe would desire the, the milk, 
so should the, the believer desire the, thy word, Father, to take our everyday feeding, to meditate upon it, to have, to be doers of the word, not hearers only, as it says in the book of James, that we would look upon it and we would be convicted, that we would repent, that we would change our ways. We just ask for the congregation that's here this morning, for the ones that are traveling, we ask that the name of the Lord, Lord and Savior be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen.